Welcome to the Global Watch Prayer Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we build community in prayer to empower the church from local expressions to global connections. For more information and resources on the Global Watch, visit theglobalwatch.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is the 18th of October. It is the final day, the ending of the Feast of Tabernacles in Israel today. And this is the Israel Watch, and we're just really excited to have a special, our special guest, Susan Heggie, and our host, Karen Davis, with us this morning. And I'm going to turn it on over to you, Karen, and get started with a special watch today. Hallelujah. Hi, everybody. Blessings. Just to clarify, the whole, the, all the fall feasts just wrapped up, and actually the last day was, was Monday. So we had a special celebration yesterday on top of Carmel. I think I, yeah. some of you watched, we had a four-hour watch, only because we couldn't find a day last week to do it. But we had nations, we had worship teams from multiple nations, and I think the last time it was on, oh, I wasn't on last week, Joe to the call because we were doing a very I just want to report on that and I think you prayed into this Arab we had Arabic and Hebrew worship night in the middle of Sukkot when Rania Sayag brought over this amazing young team and it was really a breakthrough evening so I want to thank everyone that prayed for that we we've been pioneering the one new man and the unity between Jews and Arabs for many many years but there, I felt that we really stepped into another level of this unity and a more powerful, deeper unity, a, a freedom in the spirit that, of course, Rania carries and has imparted to this young worship team. But I was amazed at how many Arab believers responded to the invitation to come. People brought their brothers and their husbands and a lot of the ladies that I had met at the Arab Deborah conference a couple of months ago and it just was like a groundswell people were just so excited to be together and and then I it just I think it was an overflow yesterday when then the nations came up but we've been digging somebody said we've been digging these wells we've been digging these trenches to release the water and so the nations just came in yesterday and the Lord just released a flood of the living waters over everybody. Mm -hmm. It was a tremendous outpouring of joy. And we're all worn out, but we're, we're feeling excited. <laughs> the, the wonderful, I don't know if, I don't know if I don't see Christy on here, but one of the wonderful things is that we have Lydia with us. I think she's going to come on a little bit later from Ukraine. Many of you met her in Heronhut. She was leading some of the beautiful worship sessions down in the fire on the altar on the, in the prayer room. And she is with us now. We have, I had said earlier that our community center, Beit Yedidia, which means house of God's friends, is filled with Russian, ref Ukrainian refugees. And so Lydia is there. She's already leading some of the devotionals in the morning in, in Russian, and she's going to be doing some worship with, with our young adults group soon. And, and so into that, uh, Christy Childers from the High Tech Watch brought 10 of her group, her leaders, and they're also all staying at Bed Ebate Diddy. And we were all in this worship time last night, yesterday. Anyway, just want to, I hope so many of you will continue to come our way. And just amazing to me that God is just continuing to strengthen these bonds of fellowship and that relationship that we've been forging, all of us on Global mm -hmm. Watch. Yeah, so I just, <laughs> that was I, my introduction. I, 
Yeah, go ahead. Can I interfere just a minute? Sure. There is a landing place in next April 2023 yes. at Karen's place. We're planning a Spirit of Elijah, a summit <laughs> of the nations. I'm really excited about that. Watch your emails today. I'll be sending it out and you'll have information on it. So put that in your hat and think about it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Last night after this event, we all went out to, we were all hungry. We all went out to, to a little restaurant right near Beit Yedidia, and Lydia was with us also. And Christy had asked me to share with the rest of the group, just to show some things that are on my heart. And I couldn't help but refer to some of the things that took place in, in Heronhut. And one of them specifically, which was actually how the Lord really knit my heart together with Christy, was that one morning, some of you remember, she had a vision on a morning session. She came shared it and ended up just on her knees before the Lord weeping and Fred put a microphone in her hand and and said just pray over us and she started to pray the Lord's prayer and as she got to the line give us this day our daily bread the, the hand of the Lord came on me so strongly and I suddenly had a just this flash before me a scene from the first prophetic dream I had ever had on the night before I got saved. This was a dream I had 35 years ago, so it was totally the Spirit of the Lord reminding me, and he showed me a scene with these little children on their knees, with their hands raised, begging for bread, and knew the Lord was speaking to me and really speaking to us about maintaining that position as little children abiding in Him, just having nothing of our own, needing to needing that bread from heaven dependent dependent on him and so the lord just put on my heart this morning as i was preparing for this call one of the theme songs that we had for heron hut <laughs> Yeah. 
Thank you, Karen. Thank you. So beautiful. Yes, need to depend on you, Lord. For anyone who might be on the call and is unfamiliar with what I do, I am I'm in Israel and we work with the survivors of the Shoah of the Holocaust. And uh, it's sometimes we cry, sometimes we laugh, but it has a very heavy history. And I'm going to be telling you about it. But first of all, I wanted to let you know something that we're going to do. I haven't done it here yet. We used to do different large groups. Groups would come here, volunteers would come here, and we would do games and concerts and things in the hostels here so that we could invite a lot of survivors. But when COVID came, everything shut down. And now there's a fear that still continues in the hostels. And so we are not allowed to go in and do all of these things. So I have a group of seven ladies coming from the U.S. And I have volunteers coming as well who are staying with me this next week. And we decided that we're just going to get this whole group of people with three different uh, translators. And we're going to go visit survivors. So we're going to divide everybody into three groups and send them to four survivors each, all different homes. So they're going to be traveling from one home to another. They're going to be visiting, taking them each a gift. And the whole idea is they're going to be meeting a variety of survivors, whether they're from a concentration camp, a ghetto, whether they were evacuated or hid in the forest, they're all going to be different. And everyone will get a new taste of what the survivors are like personally. But then we're all coming back to my apartment. Notice I said apartment, not house, because I always had a house before. And we're going to invite other survivors. So there will be about 20 of us in my apartment. And we're also having a guitarist who's also our videographer, Russian. And he will be playing songs for them. And we will be serving lunch. And I already know exactly what the lunch has to be. They eat certain things. And so we will have those certain things. And I'm looking forward to it. It's very exciting. But I would appreciate your prayers next Thursday on the 27th from 9.30 in the morning until 4. We are going to be busy with survivors. And yeah. it's exciting. It really is. That's awesome. Susan, please clarify what day is it? Thursday, October 27th. Okay. So it's next week. Okay. Next week. Yes. Yes, I have a whole week to prepare. <laughs> I'm going to need it. Maybe it, maybe when we move into the prayer time, we should, we will just, we can begin to pray for that even for today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So what I'm presenting to everyone today is it's heavy. The Holocaust itself is heavy material, but I'm going back further before the Holocaust. And this is a history of anti-Semitism and mm. we're going way back. First question I want to ask everybody to think about whose fault is the Holocaust? Most people blame Germany due to their activities during World War II, but it wasn't just Germany. And where did all this begin? We can certainly say all of it started with Lucifer in the Garden of Eden. He was jealous of the relationship with God of mankind he had created, and he did all he could to destroy. And of course, we know the outcome in the end. And thank you, Yeshua, for the fact that we have salvation through you. But as we look through the repetition of history, let's look at this. And I want to 
I want you to recognize signs. And imagine if you were in these times that I'm going to be talking about, how would you react? How would you view this? I do want to give a disclaimer. I apologize to any of the Jewish people that are on this call because this is hard. This was hard for me. I'm Gentile. This was hard for me. I've had weeks where I've been in this. And so I'm sorry, but we need to know. And I'm not targeting any culture. This is everybody across the board. So after the ministry, the death, the resurrection of our Messiah, in 70 CE, CD, Romans chose to starve and slaughter 600,000 Jews in Jerusalem. And I don't think we think about that. 1290 to 1492, Jews were expelled. England, France, Spain, in 1516, Spain even closed the Jewish quarter and called it the ghetto. So I'm sure you can identify that word. In 1648, Poland and Russia pogroms destroyed 300 Jewish communities and they murdered 100,000 Jews. Wow. In 1871, Jews were given citizenship. Now it's totally opposite, it's a flip. France, Netherlands, Denmark, Greece, Belgium, Great Britain, Hungary, Italy, Sweden, Switzerland, and a few others, they all suddenly gave the Jews citizenship. The Russian Tsar created the Pale Settlement in Russia, restricting the Jews to that area. I'm sure you've heard the statement, beyond the pale, that was the hope of every Jew who lived there to go beyond the pale. And that's where that comes from. So they were restricted to that area. Then in 1860, Zionism began in Europe. At the same time, the USA established the Ku Klux Klan, which is anti-Black and anti-Semitic. In 1867, the term anti-Semitism was first used, it was never used before that, it was first used in order to be used when you were talking to people in polite society. So it was invented then. 1871, the German new constitution gives the Jews full equality, the very first time since the Roman times. But at the same time, anti-Semitism is growing. 1878, German Christian Socialist is, Party is formed. Notice the Christian in there. They are demanding that Jews convert to Christianity. 1880, the German petition bans Jews from schools, universities, public office, and it's signed by 250,000 people. Okay, so which part of the German part here was giving them equality? 1894, the France, in France, a Jewish army captain is framed for murder. He is acquitted after five years. Waves of anti-Semitism led by the Roman Catholic newspaper begin to sweep over the land. 1897, Vienna, a new mayor who is a virulent anti-Semite is elected. Did anyone notice this? Britain, the new term concentration camp is used during the Boer War and they had Afrikaans in there. 1903, Poland, the National Democratic Party is formed and it's the platform for anti-Jewish pogroms and forced immigration. 
1906, Poland and Ukraine waves of violent anti-Semitic programs. 1905, Germany establishes the International Society for Racial Hygiene, which is selective breeding. You see how this is building. 1907, all the way to 1941, the USA sterilizes approximately 38,000 mentally disabled men and women at the same time that Germany murdered and gassed 250,000 mentally disabled. 1910, in England, Winston Churchill urges the sterilization of 100,000 mentally disabled people. This is three different countries at the same time. 1911, in Russia, the Jew, there's a Jew that's accused, he's acquitted of ritual murder, but again, pogroms go across the country. 1913, the USA, a Jewish man is accused, he's sentenced to mur for murder, he's sentenced and the government commutes it. However, the mob breaks into the prison and hangs him. 1918, anti-Semitic groups and publications increase worldwide. 1918 to 20, after World War I is over. The Bolshevik War in Russia, 100,000 Jews are killed in the Ukraine. October 1918, this is actually the anniversary this week. Palestine is conquered by British, freeing it for the first time from the Ottoman rule since 1516. You can see this is paving the way for when Israel will become a nation. November of 1918, after Germany lost World War I, the German war veterans gather together and form what they call steel helmets. They're nationalistic and anti-Semitic. 1918, all the way to 1933, Poland establishes new anti-Semitic policies. 60,000 Polish Jews immigrate to Germany, not knowing what's coming. 1919, Germany, the Workers' Party is formed and Adolf Hitler joins. 1923, Romania gives Jews their citizenship. In the midst of all this, suddenly we have a country that gives citizenship. 1920, the Haganah, the Jewish militia underground, is formed in Palestine. At the same time in Germany, the National Socialist Party meets and Hitler is allowed to set the program and the priorities. 1921, Germany, the stormtroopers are established. 1922, the British mandate for Jewish immigrants to Palestine is made. At the same time, there was also a mandate made for the Arabs to take Palestine. So that created a conflict. In 1923, Germany, rampant inflation after the war. The currency is worthless. Four billion marks equal one US dollar. They are actually buying bread with wheelbarrows full of money and they're using it to light their fires. That same year, Germany fails to pay their war debt because they can't afford it. In 1924, the Nazis win 6% of the vote in parliament. Okay, so now is anybody noticing that the Nazis are gaining ground? Are they looking at what they stand for? 
1927, the German Jewish cemeteries begin to be desecrated and the faith movement of German Christians is established in order to Aryanize the Christian church and remove Jewishness. 1930, Germany, the Nazis now win 18% in parliament. 1931, is established. 1932, Austrian Hitler receives German citizenship. This paves the way for him to take over. America, a pro-Nazi group is formed there. 1933, in Germany, Hitler is made chancellor. Dachau concentration camp is formed within six weeks of his becoming the chancellor. And they take all of the political prisoners within a week and fill it with their political opponents. There are other genocides that take, take place during this time. I want you to understand this is not all Germany. Okay, we have the Holocaust from 33 to 45 where six to 11 million Jews died. 1941 to 1945, the Soviet POWs are killed in the concentration camps wherever they can find. 3.5 million POWs are killed between 41 and 45. You have the Holodomor, 1932 to 1933, up to 7.5 million people starved and a famine in Ukraine, created Ukraine, created famine. And the Polish nation during this time, 1939 to 1945, three million Gentiles are killed by Nazis. They're not Jews, it's Gentiles. And you have other genocide going on in almost every country that could possibly do it. I'm not going to give the history from after 34, because we know World War II started in 41. I could go on with more. There was so much more. But I want you to understand that so much happened before war was declared, before the world knew what was happening. And they were killing people almost every month. October was a big month each year. And they would kill hundreds of thousands of people. And Dachau was only the first camp formed. But I, I want to ask, who noticed the changes that were happening? And who did anything to stop it? Who does anti-Semitism affect? Jews only? No. Those who participate and descendants and the victims and their descendants, all humankind is affected by anti-Semitism. So, of course, that asks the question, well, who should stand against anti-Semitism? I would say all who see, who discern, who comprehend, which would be all who pray, those who are following the Lord and pray. You're going to see it. You're going to see things that other people don't. God is looking for bold people. Modern example, of course, is the Ukraine war. We see what's happening. They're fighting the Goliath nation, the bigger nation. And we need to stand with the people who are being harmed because it's not just Ukraine. Poland's being affected and every country around them and every country who is accepting the refugees. It's affecting our economy. 
it's affecting our population. It's affecting us in every way possible. We all need to and stop and say, it's enough. Stop this, which people didn't do before World War II. And yet this anti-Semitism is growing. Even today, it's growing. The Lord does give us examples. And Gideon, in Judges 632, 